Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 790th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have a replay of our interview with Tom Spellman of Dave Wilson Nursery, where he talks about fruit tree pruning and backyard orchard culture. Tom has been involved in the nursery business since 1973. At that time, he was a freshman in high school and rode his skateboard to work. Since then, he has worked for several different nurseries, including Laverne Nursery, where he was the general manager for 20 years, and currently he is the Southwestern sales manager for Dave Wilson Nursery for the last two decades. Dave Wilson Nursery is the largest grower of fruit, nut, and shade trees in the USA. They grow 10 million plus trees per year and ship wholesale worldwide. Enjoy the show. Welcome, welcome everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from our new farm in Asheville, North Carolina. We have a name for it. It's called Goodness Grows Organics. And over the past four or five months, we've planted 160 fruit and berry bushes that's been a project yeah exactly in fact i've got uh, videos going up today and tomorrow for the process so you'll be able to see what they look like since since august so i'm here with janice hello janice hello greg hello everyone i'm janice norton i am the urban farm phoenix or arizona part of it and i'm excited to be here again I am the general manager. I'm coming here. Behind me is my forest, my food forest. This is my apples and peaches and plums and apricots. I call my place two piece in a pot. Nice. Thank you. And we are here with Tom Spellman. Hello, Tom. Good afternoon or good evening. Tom, depending on where you're listening at, it could be good morning in New Zealand as well. <laughs> could be, and yeah. Tom is with Dave Wilson Nursery. Dave Wilson Nursery is the place where we get all of our deciduous trees for our fruit tree program, but way more importantly, we get a ton of great education and information from Tom and Dave Wilson Nursery to make sure that we are being successful with the fruit trees that we're planting. And this is a lot of our education comes through Tom Spellman. So thank you, Tom. It's my pleasure. It's great. Been great working with you over the years and Look forward to many more years to come. Yeah, we're in year 24. Working. Sorry, one of the nice things I like about this trio here is that we are all committed to helping other people succeed with their fruit trees. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why our conversations just keep flowing the way they do. I love it. Yeah. Tom, have you heard about our new course called Root Camp? Just briefly, but I don't really have any details on it, right? Ah, so first of all, you can find it at urbanfarm.org forward slash root camp. And why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Janice, before we jump in? Root Camp is a culmination of all the years of Urban Farms fruit tree education Now, we've done a lot of education in person for many years. That's how Greg started out. But when things changed and we started going more into Zoom over the last few years, we started having a lot of videos and a lot of online classes. And it got a little bit confusing when somebody would say, hey, I need information on this or I need information on that. So we started putting it all together and Root Camp became a library of education on fruit trees that is become basic training for fruit tree ownership. We've got nine different sections on it. How to, you know, what to know before you buy your fruit tree, what to know when you bought your fruit tree and you're getting prepared to put it in the ground, how to care for it the first few years. There's just several sections there that organize the information that we've been presenting for years. It's, it's a phenomenal free resource for fruit tree owners. Yeah, exactly. And the cool thing is that Janice dreamed up the name and put it all together and it took her about two weeks and she gathered what, 40 different lessons. Yeah. And some of them are five minute videos. Some of them are our classes. This will be one of them. We'll be popping this in there. Urbanfarm.org forward slash root camp. It is really everything that you want to know about being successful growing fruit trees primarily in the desert, but all of these things, I have found that I use all these things here in North Carolina too. So 
Yeah, and it's the same basic methodology we're using throughout California here on the West Coast. So it, it's all relevant. You may change one or two little things to fit your climate or your soil type or the types of trees you're growing. But in general, it's the same basic information. Lovely. Cool. Well, and again, you can find it at urbanfarm.org forward slash root camp. So this is our November tree chat. I love that we've started this and it's become um, a consistent thing here. This is the tree chat part of our education. And this month we're talking about fruit tree pruning. And we're getting on this a little bit earlier than we have in the past. We want to do this in November because it is a really good time to start planning your root tree pruning. Our, these are chats. This is a, a form of education that the Urban Farm offers each month, this is our tree care chat, and we do appreciate your support. If you want to uh, throw us a little love, you can go to urbanfarm.org slash support us. One of the actual processes that we talk about every month in our tree chats is, do I fertilize? So the question is, do you fertilize in November? Yes, we're going to actually show you how to do that. Foliar feeding is one of the ways that we're going to encourage you to feed your trees every month. Now, the trick about how to foliar feed in November is in the morning time, you're only going to be foliar feeding if the, temp the air temperatures are above 70 degrees. If the temperatures are above 70 degrees, then it's going to be an effective process. In the evenings, when it's a little bit easier because the temperatures are going to stay warmer, having been warmed by the day, you can continue to foliar feed until the temperatures are below 65 degrees. So that's going to be the time frame that you can do the foliar feeding. And this is in the Northern Hemisphere. For those of you who are in the Southern Hemisphere, you're going to switch this and you're going to be using our, our June and July um, um, schedules. So what are you doing at this point? You would be foliar feeding for those of you who have our products. You're going to use a cap of essence and three caps of soul in one gallon of water and you know liberally apply that to the leaves branches, and trunks of your trees. So that's how you're going to do that. Avoid high heat, avoid freezes. Now, every month is until your soil freezes. Here in the desert, we don't have the soil freezing, but other areas of the, uh, wherever you are, if your soil freezes, it's not going to be effective. But every month, just go ahead and give one to three ounces of heart. That's a good solid humic acid in five gallons of water. Pour that in your tree basin and then follow that up with the good watering so it goes down deep. That's our drench feeding. Let's go on to fruit tree pruning. Awesome, Janice. Thank you very much. Thank you. I love doing that. Yeah, you do a great job of it. All right, Tom. So let's just jump in. And I want to start with this concept that y'all came up with at Dave Wilson Nursery a few years ago called Backyard Orchard Culture. Can you tell us what backyard orchard culture is and why it's important? Absolutely, Greg. And uh, backyard orchard culture is something that's really been followed for centuries. It, it allows people to grow trees, using them not only for fruit production, but adding them in for function, for ornamental appeal, for uh, flowers, for fall color. There's all kinds of reasons that people are growing trees in their landscape other than just fruit. But we like to concentrate on the fact that we're getting a good quality fruit. So one of the things that happened over the last hundred years or so is people started to grow trees like a farmer. They started to think, I need my apple tree to be 25 or 30 feet tall. I need my plum tree to be 20 feet tall and, and 10 feet wide. And they're getting these intimidating crops that they really don't understand how to handle. And the trees are were totally unmanageable. They were getting too big, they were getting too rangy. They were having too much bird damage at the top. They couldn't get up and thin. They couldn't get up and harvest properly. So we started to look at more or less to what were the farmers changing? What was the trend that was changing in California agriculture and Arizona agriculture? And the thing that we saw most was they were eliminating wide spacings. They were going in with double or triple the amount of trees per acre, and they were bringing tree size back down where it was manageable from the ground or with a small ladder or smaller equipment. So the first concept of backyard orchard culture is 
size control your trees so they're manageable for you. And I'm never the person that's going to say your tree has to be seven feet or eight feet or nine feet. It's whatever's manageable for you. It's whatever individually works for that particular grower. I have a couple of different philosophies on that. And one of them is if it's a deciduous tree, if it's a peach, a plum, a nectarine, prunus varieties in particular, that ripen over a fairly short period of time, two weeks, three weeks, some extend out maybe to four. So that's a tree where your work is going to be done quickly. And those are trees where a commercial expectation on a peach tree in an orchard in Tulare County, California, is 300 to 350 pounds of fruit. Wow. What is the average homeowner going to do with 300 pounds or 250 pounds of peaches that are ripe in a two or three week period of time? So if you're, if you're freezing, if you're dehydrating, if you're making gallons of jams and jellies, then you can probably use that amount. But if you just want to eat some fresh fruit, then it's way too much. Yeah. So if you're managing a tree more uh, along the lines where you can do the work from the ground or do the work from a small ladder, now the tree is going to be seven or eight feet tall or maybe nine feet tall. So if I need to thin, if I need to uh, do some pruning, if I need to get out and harvest some fruit, I can do that conveniently from a comfortable position, a ground position, or just with a short step. We decided to bring deciduous varieties that ripened over a short period of time back down within that range. Eight feet is probably the average that people use. Now, my philosophy on things like citrus is completely different because they will hold on the tree for months, not weeks. I can pick my Eureka lemons for eight or nine months out of the year. I can pick mandarins or navel oranges for four or five months out of the year. So I can easily manage those trees with a, a pole, a 10-foot pole and a basket picker and go out and get whatever fruit I need during that particular week, but I'm not having to, to manage the whole tree that way in a short period of time. I go pick a dozen or a dozen and a half or whatever I'm going to need. And then a week later, I go out and do the same thing again. So size control is up to the individual grower. There are no basic rules for size control other than keep it manageable for you, whatever you're willing to manage. And when, once you choose that size, you need to accept the responsibility of keeping those trees managed at that size going forward for the life of the tree. Yeah. So you're, you're constantly doing some size control pruning, some rejuvenation pruning. You're keeping your canopies low because the trees will keep stretching. They'll keep going higher and you'll lose the undergrowth and you'll gain more growth up top. So if you just walk away from it and you don't prune for three or four or five years, you're going to have that 15, 20, 25 foot giant that's become totally unmanageable. And interesting you should say that because it doesn't even take three, two or three or four years. No, it really doesn't. I was in Phoenix two weeks ago, and I went back to the urban farm, the place that I planted all my trees out over the past 32 years, and they hadn't pruned the trees in a year. They were double the size. It was almost mind-blowing to me how much they had grown. We actually ended up pruning, two weeks ago, we ended up pruning a, an apricot back eight foot on the branches. We cut the entire thing back eight foot in, and that was just a year and a half's worth of growth. So yeah, they, they can, a nice, healthy, prosperous tree can get ahead of you very quickly. Yeah. I, I always emphasize that point. Size control is accepting the responsibility to keep that tree controlled at that size going forward. And you're going to get regrowth every year. You're going to be taking out wood every year and keeping that tree to a manageable size. So that's the first concept and probably the most important concept for, for an average homeowner. Once you realize that, hey, I don't have to go out and, and try and throw a bird net over a 20 foot plum tree, or I don't have to go out and try and climb 15 feet to pick apricots. I can manage this tree now in a comfortable, easy setting and, and not have to worry about falling out of the tree or off a ladder or whatever. So okay, that size control is very important. So that's the number one concept. The number two concept is successive harvest, wherever you can manage a successive harvest. We want to extend it out for all seasons, if, if possible. If you're in a climate like Phoenix, Arizona, or like Southern California, 
I can literally go out into my backyard each and every day of the year and pick some sort of ripe fruit, usually several different varieties at any given time. And, it, and, it, and it's a matter of having the deciduous varieties that ripen up from, from April until October or November. And it's a matter of having successive ripening avocados that, that come in throughout the year and different varieties of citrus that are winter, spring, summer, fall varieties so that we can get fruit all the time. And I realized not everybody has that luxury, but everybody has a season. Everybody has a season where they can look at, okay, my the earliest variety I can get is so-and-so. And the latest variety I can manage before frost is this. So then you want to look at everything in between. You want to fill those gaps so that every week or every 10 days or every two weeks, you're coming up with a variety that's going to give you fruit. As opposed to a commercial grower who wants a large crop at one time, he wants all his fruit at one time. So he can go in and harvest 50 acres of peaches and send them off to the packing house and they get graded and washed and, and cold stored and shipped off to the market. And he gets his check. It's what he does for a living. Now, us as a backyard grower, we don't want a lot of fruit at any one given right. time. We want a little bit of fruit all the time. Let me just jump in here and talk about successive ripening as it applies to peaches in the low desert. My third rule of growing soft flesh fruit in the desert, in the heat, is that it needs to be off the tree by about July 1st. Otherwise, it just cooks on the tree. So right. all of the varieties that we bring into Phoenix of the soft flesh fruit, that's apples and stone fruit and grapes and berries, they all ripen before July 1st. And one of my favorite bundles for the success of ripening is the desert gold peach, which is the most amazing peach to grow in the desert. And then the next is tropic snow peach. So, and it, that ripens about three weeks later. So we get a May 15th ripening on the desert gold and on the tropic snow, we get the first week of June and the, yeah. you know, toward the end of June, we get the mid pride peach and they're three very different peaches that do really well in the desert. So when we're talking success of ripening, that's what we're talking about. So if you keep, you have an eight foot tall, desert gold peach you might get 50 75 pounds off of that and then two weeks later you get 50 pounds off of your tropic snow and two weeks later you get three weeks later you get 50 pounds off of your mid pride peach and so yeah, that so works you're, really you're, well you're still you're getting a, a good crop of fruit but you're extending it out over a longer period of time you're where you would have had you could have had that fruit on one one large tree 150 pounds easy but you would come all in two weeks. So by having three varieties that are size control managed and mm -hmm. easy to maintain, now you're getting 50 pounds at one early, 50 pounds mid, 50 pounds. Late. And you're absolutely right about the desert philosophy. Varieties that hold into August and September just basically don't do well on the tree out there. So you, you don't yeah. want that late summer harvest season in the desert where... I have that luxury in Southern California. I can grow exactly. August, September, and even we have a new variety called Oktoberfest that comes in. I just ate my last one the other day, so it actually lasted in November. Wow, so nice. That's a really nice luxury to have. But that's successive ripening, second concept. Third concept is of a dual philosophy, and it's number one. Grow what's adaptable to your area, which is exactly what you're talking about. You're not yep. going to grow a variety that isn't adaptable to your soil type, to your weather conditions. So you're going to make sure you keep within those boundaries. And that's why dealing with uh, a nursery like yours that understands the climate and understands the soil types and knows what to recommend, as opposed to dealing with some big box store that's just going to sell whatever they get in. I was I was down in the, toward the beach in Southern California not too long ago. I walked into a big box store and, and they had Bing cherry trees in there for sale. Oh my gosh. Bing cherry trees are very, you can grow those very well in, in North Carolina, but they're certainly not going to grow in Long Beach, California. You, you want to understand the, the right varieties. You want to make sure that the varieties that you're growing are adaptable to your climate and, and your soil type. And you also want to make sure that you're growing varieties that you like and you'll use. It doesn't do you any good to plant something if you don't have any use for that fruit. And people do that all the time. Oh, that's a beautiful tree. And let's put that in and see what it's like. I've never tasted that fruit before. It's got to be something good, right? 
Yeah. And after three or four years worth of irrigation and fertilization and pruning and cultivating that tree to become a beautiful specimen, you realize, I don't really like this fruit. <laughs> so understand what you're putting in. Make sure there are varieties that you like and, and you'll use. The, those are the three concepts or four concepts of backyard agriculture. Size control, successive harvest, grow what you like and what you'll use, and grow varieties that are adaptable to your particular climate and yeah. your particular soil type. Well, and that's, that's how this whole thing started for me 24 years ago is I went into, I actually went into Price Club in 1991 and I bought a peach tree. It was a little three foot tall peach tree in a bag and took it home and planted it. And, and 10 years later, it never made any peaches. So I discovered you can go into most big box stores, all big box stores, and they'll sell you a fruit tree that'll never make fruit. And that's just, that's the reason we started our program and we only bring in trees that are going to make fruit. Absolutely. I've, wor I've personally worked with you on your program over the last 20 plus years. And, and we're always looking at making sure that those varieties fit into the adaptability of, of your yeah, area. Exactly. All right. We bring in what are called bare root trees. That means there's no dirt around the roots. And we're bringing them in January and they're dormant. We're actually doing some pruning on the trees when they arrive. So when the trees get dug up out of the ground, the roots get broken. Some of the roots get pruned off. And so we have to downsize the top of the tree as well to match basically the root system. So once you get this tree, Tom, what is your suggestion for people when they're getting implanted? The first thing you're going to do is exactly that. You're going to look at the scaffolding structure on the tree, if there is any. Sometimes it's just a whip and doesn't even have a scaffold yet. But you're going to make sure that whatever scaffolding branches are there, your top structure, your scaffolding structure is no more than one and a half times the size of the root system on the, on the base of the tree. So as long as you're doing that, you're going to have a vigorous flush in the spring you're going you're gonna to get one, two, three feet of growth through that first season. But if you have four or five times the amount of scaffold as you do root, most of the time you're going to lose the tree or you're going to have very weak, unstable growth. You're not going to develop that new fruiting structure that you're looking for. So th there's a misconception on bare root that, oh, you know, the, the bigger tree is the same price as the smaller tree. So mm -hmm. I'm going to plant the bigger tree, but you don't always get the benefit of that. You know, you want to make sure that you're pruning that back to a balance. You want to make sure that you have no more than one and a half times top to the amount of root that you have. The, the first thing you're going to do, make sure that when, when you bring that bare root home, you should be ready for that tree. You should have your hole dug. You should have your backfill amendment and soil there. You should have irrigation ready to go so that when you bring that tree home, you, you water it down, make sure it's nice and wet. Never let that root system dry out. Get that tree in the ground right, right away. Every one of those trees is going to be a grafted tree, or let's say most of those trees are going to be grafted trees. Mm -hmm. So you're going to look for that graft union. It's very distinct. You'll see a little bit of a kink about four or five inches above the soil line, a little bit of a dog leg. Maybe you'll see where the rootstock was cut off. There'll be a, a, a good sized cut there. And you want to make sure that graft union is two, three or four inches above the soil line when you plant that tree. You never want to bury it below the graft. So get it planted, get the soil compacted in a little bit around it, get it irrigated immediately so that it never dries out. And the next thing you want to do is, especially in a desert climate, you want to make sure you're protecting that tree from the, the sun stress that will be coming along in another month or two months or three months. So you're going to get a very nice light coating of uh, sun protection or a whitewash or a, or a tree trunk paint on there so that tree when, when we're growing that tree in a nursery row they're six or eight or 12 inches apart every row is four feet from the next row so all those trees are self-shading all through their first couple of years in the nursery and now you take it out and plant it in the middle of your yard in a, in a harsher desert condition or in a full sun location and if you don't get that tree whitewashed right away sunburn will probably take it out in the first year to two years and, we and if it a, doesn't take it out, it'll create a scar on the southwest side of the trunk and the scaffolding, and it'll always be a weak tree. 
we have a whole lesson on that in root camp. Good, so. good. That's, that's excellent. So you want to make sure that you're, you're getting that done. And then you're going to let that tree stabilize. You're going to let it start to grow out. And you're going to, you know, going to maintain it, fertilize it, irrigate it as needed going into the first two or three or four months of the season. So then we're going to get all kinds of growth the first year. What do we do the first three years to manage the size of this tree? And when do we do it? So that, that's a great question. And you've got to realize that the first couple of years in the ground, you're building a strong, stable root system and you're building your future fruiting scaffold. Say you plant that tree in at the end of January. By May 1st, you have... 18 inches of new growth or two feet of new growth on that tree. So at that point, you want to make some strategic cuts so that you're keeping that growth low. If there's long upward whippy growth, you're going to take that down by a third. If there's growth way out on the side, you're going to, you're going to bring that back in by about a third. And you're going to look at every cut that you're going to make, and you're going to make sure that the, that the, the next bud, in that sequence is a bud that's going to grow out away from the center of the tree. You don't want to push that growth back into the center. That makes it too thick and, and too dense. You don't get good light exposure. You don't get good air movement. So you want to all bring that growth out. You're looking at a candelabra philosophy mm -hmm. as you encourage that young tree. Cool. And um, that you can do that all year round a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, right? You don't have to wait. Absolutely. I'm, I am constantly working in my landscape and it can be any day of the year. The weather's nice and I've got a couple hours of sunlight left and I'm going to go out and look for issues. Is there deadwood in the tree? Do I have interruptive crisscrossing branches? Is it too thick or too dense in the center? Does it grow out into the walkway where I need to to people by? Is there anything that's out of balance? You can make those little detail cuts all the time. So you don't have to follow any kind of a season as far as doing detail work on that tree. And that's the nice thing about backyard orchard culture. The commercial philosophy on pruning for deciduous trees used to be we wait until they go dormant and then we come in and we do all of our work. That was a labor issue. They didn't have mm. other chores to do at that time of the year. They Plenty of time and plenty of labor available in December and January. Nothing was fruiting, nothing was flowering, they weren't harvesting anything. So they could go in and get all their pruning done at that time. But what, what they realized in California Central Valley is you have a lot more incidence of disease and bacteria spread if you're pruning at that time of year. So this right now actually is a wonderful time to prune. I've been in Northern California twice in the last two weeks. The deciduous growers are going through and pruning right now. So the cuts are going to heal in a matter of a couple of days or three days. You don't have the bacterial or disease issues that move around when the weather's more uh, moist and, and cool. So the deciduous fruit growers, especially apricot and cherry growers, mm -hmm. they don't do any winter pruning anymore. They do almost everything at the end of the summer season and into the fall. So September, October, November, is a really good time to start making some of those pruning decisions. Well, that's good to know, because then that's changed in the past few years. It, it has changed dramatically. It's been a gradual change over the last 30 years. Wow. So what I've told people for a few years, and I learned this from you, is you want to keep the tree the size and shape that you want it. So if you want your tree to be this size, I'm a tree now, I do this often, I'm a tree now and you want your tree to be this size and all of a sudden a branch goes way up like this, you can go through no matter when. And they call in your backyard orchard culture document, they call it summer pruning. But if that branch is growing up, it's going to continue to vigorously grow up and it's going to be a waste of energy for that tree if you're eventually going to come and cut it off. So cutting it off sooner than later is better, right? Absolutely. And, and you want to pay close attention to that branch because if, if you've got that one vigorous branch and it's growing out of balance or maybe two or three or four of them, then mm -hmm. you're going to follow that branch all the way down to where it comes off of your scaffolding. And you're going to determine, okay, do I want, do I want secondary growth from this branch? So if it's four feet out of balance, and I cut it back right down to balance with the head of the tree, all the new growth is going to go right back out of balance again. So I may look at that branch and go down into the structure of the tree by another 
18 inches or two feet and say, uh, sure, if I make a, a cut and it's only 12 inches off of your main scaffolding, then all my new growth is going to come up into that scaffolding development and I'll get a, a, a rejuvenation of fruiting wood exactly where I want it. If you cut it off up at the top of the structure, all your new growth is going to come up high again. All you're doing is is growing that next plus of growth is just as out of balance as the cut you just made. Always, always look for balance in that system. And if you need to make dramatic, drastic cuts like that, you definitely want to take those back down further into the system than you would if mm -hmm. it's just a restructuring cut for fruit production. This is a great question. Lawrence Ross says, what exactly do you mean by scaffolding? Well, scaffolding is the basic structure of the tree. Your basic scaffold, you're going to develop in the first year and two years of that tree's life. And that's going to be your main branch structure. I've got a root system, a graft, a trunk, and a scaffold. And then off of that scaffold, I'm going to structure all my fruiting wood. Mm -hmm. So that fruiting wood, you're going to constantly be rejuvenating that. Two, three, four-year-old wood, I'm going to take out. I'm going to, I'm going to favor the new one-year and two-year wood because that's where I'm getting most of my fruit on peaches, plums, and apricots and varieties like that. So you're always taking out old and, and leaving room for the new. And what happens is people, if they skip, a, like we talked about earlier, if they skip a year, if they skip two years, they lose all the, the viable wood down within that scaffold and everything goes up above. So then you have to get a little more dramatic with it and you have to bring it back down to that basic structure again and regrow it. So you, yeah. every time you do that, you're going to lose a whole year's worth of fruit. I'm going to jump into a few questions here. We got some great questions. Christine says, is it okay to do light pruning at non-typical times, like a fig tree in November, if it's only growing in, on one side rather than waiting until February? Figs are the exception to the rule. When you look at how the flow of sap is with the fig, mm -hmm. if you make a cut in September or October, and you're going to get a, a secretion of a milky latexy sap, and it, and it flows pretty vigorously. So with figs, I always want to do most of my pruning during the middle of dormant season. I want to make sure that tree defoliates naturally. And at that point, the sap has translocated back down into the root system. The sap, mm -hmm. the nutrients are, are stored for the winter, and it's not going to flow when I make a cut. If you make that cut in the spring or in, in the summer, you're going to get bleeding of, of that latex sap, and that's going to come out. That, that could... Could, it might not stop flowing for hours. The thing to do with a fig, if you want to check it and see if it's ready to be pruned, go make one cut. If that cut bleeds, walk away from it. Make, go it. back in a week or 10 days, make a cut. If that cut bleeds, it's not ready yet. But as soon as you make that cut and you don't have that secretion of, of white sap, your tree is ready to be pruned. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. I, I, and this is one of the things I love about working with you. I get to learn new stuff all the time. So thanks. Elizabeth says, if you want to reduce the height of a stone fruit tree, is there a rule for how much you can reduce it without causing stress? For example, don't cut more than a third of height. And before you answer that, I actually had a, a nectarine tree and we don't recommend nectarines in the desert because of thrip issues, but I had a nectarine tree in my backyard that was, it got bigger than I wanted it to maybe a decade or so ago. And it was thigh size down low. And I cut the thing back to six feet. I cut 15 feet off of the top of this tree and the thing butted out and came back. That was my experience with how much to cut back. What do you say, Tom? You're going to have to base this on each individual specimen. I'm going to, I'm going to look at that tree and say, yeah, you know what? I can take uh, a third out of the top and it's still going to be manageable or I can take 50% mm -hmm. out of the top and keep it manageable. Or, you know what? This thing's out of control and uh, I've lost all of my fruiting wood down in, in the lower structure. I've, I've brought trees back down to two feet and where you're just cutting it back. So where you have a root system, mm -hmm. a root stock and a little short trunk, a little scion. And what you're going to do is you're going to lose a year's worth of fruit for sure. But now you're going to be able to restructure that tree to keep it low. That's dramatic. It's medieval. It's the hardest thing in the world for people to do. They think, oh, I just killed the tree. This is done tens of thousands of times every year 
in commercial agriculture when they rejuvenate an old orchard. So it's not uncommon. But again, when you when you make a decision like that, you're taking away that trunk's ability to now shade itself. So the first thing you do when you make that drastic cut is you whitewash that whole structure. That way it, it protects that, that tree that's been shaded now for years. It protects it against sunburn so that it can grow back out and be healthy. And then you come back in in the middle of the first season. So now I, I did I made a cut in January or February. I whitewashed it right away. By June 1st, I have four or five feet of new growth that's come out. And I've got 20 different sprout initiations. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to go around the circumference of that tree. And I'm going to look for six or eight of the best balanced new sprouts that have come off of that trunk. And I'm going to make sure that they're balanced and well-spaced all around the circumference. I'm going to take everything else out and then I'm going to cut those back down by 50%. Through the rest of the summer, I'm going to get one more flush of growth. And that basically is going to be my finished size going forward. So I'm going to keep the tree to that seven or eight foot height, uh, ultimately going forward. Nice. It's, it's just simply restructuring a tree that's become too out of balance. Maybe you moved into a house and it was, it's a 20 year old house and you've got some 20 year old fruit trees that haven't been maintained in the last three or five or eight years. You're going to do something like that in order to bring those back into perspective so that they can be managed. But as long as you're managing a small tree from the time that it's small, you'll never have to get that dramatic with the tree. You're right. cutting it short the first year you planted it. You're, you're maintaining that low production uh, structure on it and you're always going to keep it low so you're never going to have to make uh, a decision like that where you're cutting a 20-foot tree back down to two or three or four or five so manage it from the get-go right so this is simply rejuvenation so thank you for that Lori and alan want to know what month or even week should apples and apricots be pruned in phoenix i would say anytime after the middle of October until the middle of January to, to safely do winter pruning in Phoenix. And the earlier you do it, the, the least amount of disease or bacterial spread you're going to have. However, that being said, you have very little of eutypa or bacterial canker or the things that would affect a tree adversely in the California coastal cities. You have almost none of that in Phoenix. So you're safe to do that October, November, December, into January. I think you're fine. I think we I, might not want to do it in October because we were still hitting some really high yeah, temperatures. Yeah, if it's still in 100 degrees, then you're going to wait 30 days. But, yes, you know, You've got at least you've got a 60 to 90 day period where you can safely do that. That's nice. November, December. For those well, of I, you who aren't familiar with Phoenix, yeah, we get some 100 degree temperatures in October. And... One of the things that I discovered moving here, Tom, is that pest pressure, P-E-S-T, whether it be diseases or bugs, does not exist in Phoenix. Not it really. is it is almost non-existent in Phoenix as compared to where I'm at. You're absolutely right. Mind-blowing, the pest pressure that we have to deal with here. I, Greg, I say that in every lecture that I do. I've traveled all around this country, all around the world and looked at fruit trees in a multitude of different climates. And I'm always happy to get back to the inland valleys of California where I have very few issues that I need to concern myself with. When you, when you go to Texas or you go to Georgia or you go to Florida and, and look at the pest and disease issues that they have back there, there's no comparison to what we have here on the West Coast. It's a nightmare back there. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Here's an interesting question for you and i don't know whether any of us have an answer for you roberta wants to know a beaver attacked my fruit trees this year when and how can i rescue prune them she lives in western washington a, a beaver yeah beaver damage i guess i'm gonna look at each tree individually again and see how much damage is around the circumference of that trunk and how low is the damage was yeah. the beaver chewing on the rootstock itself or above the graft on the cyan has it you know girdled all the way or, or chewed all the way around the trunk and if that's the case then that tree is probably not salvageable yeah 
if it's chewed just a, a few spots out, then I, I would say you're probably okay. If it's chewed 50% or two thirds of the way around the circumference of the trunk and all that bark is gone down below the cambium layer, then you're going to have some scarring that's going to develop. And you probably need to take the structure back pretty severely in order to allow that tree to recover uh, through the next season. Yeah. So here's something interesting. I said at the beginning, we planted 160 fruit trees and berry bushes over the course of the summer. And when we were planting our stone fruit orchard, I planted about 40 trees in the stone fruit orchard. We planted six one weekend, and then the rest went in the following weekend. By Tuesday, the deer had come through and eaten all the leaves off of the first six I planted. So I get on the phone with Scott Murray. Scott Murray's an avocado and coffee farmer in San Diego, organic farming consultant, longtime friend of mine. I said, oh my gosh, Scott, what do I do? You know what he told me to do? He said, get some cayenne pepper and grind it up and put an ounce per gallon in a backpack sprayer and add a little bit of dish soap. And I'll tell you what I did here in a minute, but add a little dish soap and go spray that on the trees. What I actually did is I added an ounce of cayenne pepper and an ounce of garlic. And then I added fish emulsion, like an ounce per gallon of fish emulsion. So I was foliar feeding them at the same time. Then the next weekend, so this was Tuesday, then by Saturday, we were planting away and I planted about 25 stone fruit and four mulberries. And for whatever reason, I didn't spray the mulberries, but I sprayed all of the stone fruits. And these are the ones that we got from you, Tom, that I had <laughs> shipped from you to North Carolina here. And I went and sprayed them all. And for whatever reason, I didn't spray the mulberries. The next day I came out and they'd eaten the mulberry leaves, but they didn't touch any of the rest of the trees. So I'm just thinking this whole beaver thing, you might want to spray with some cayenne pepper and garlic and see what comes of it because it was magical and they have not come back. The deer, and I see deer pretty much daily when I go out driving. They haven't come back and, and attack these trees at all. They've learned. I, I think the, 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 lesson here would be before you start planting in an area where you have nature to deal with, you may want to contact the local cooperative Robert extension, extension office. What am I going to have here? Am I going to have deer? Am I going to have beaver? Am I going to have a gold problem? They understand what's going on in the area and they're going to make a recommendation on, on what you should do to prevent that right up front. And believe me, I've grown up in the school of hard knocks. I've made more mistakes, <laughs> right. killed more trees than most people will ever plant in their lives. But it, it's one of those things where you don't want to make that mistake two times. Get that information up front and just try and deal with it before the, the, the problem comes into play. Maybe if these were young trees that had beaver damage, maybe you could have put a little wire screen cage around How them and, and maybe, maybe the beaver doesn't uh, come through that wire screen cage. We do that all the time for rabbits. We have yeah. a lot of rabbit damage here in, in Southern California. And, the, you know, the rabbits will uh, just uh, come up to the cage and ogle at the trees, but they can't get in to eat them. Uh, and it, it's, it's nice to do that the day you plant the tree so that you don't come back the next morning and realize that you have an issue that you need to deal with. Yeah. All right. We've got five questions left in the Q&A, and then we're going to wrap this up. So let's see if we can get them done fast. Andrew wants to know, this is a peach growing question for the fruits. How close should the peaches be on the branches? He was told four inches. Four inches is too close, to be honest with you. If you want a decent sized peach, uh, first of all, you're going to look at that branch. Say you've got three feet of branch there. The outer 12 inches, I want zero fruit. The next 12 inches, I want two. The 12 inches down closest to where it comes off of the scaffold, I want three or four. In a three-foot branch, I'm going to grow five or six fruit. And if they're four inches apart and you have fruit all the way out to the tip of the branch, that's when it's going to bend right over and that's when you're going to have branch breakage. Exactly. So the other advantage you get, so you always thin out towards the end by 100% and then come back down and thin by 50% and come back down below that and thin by 25 or 30. So that way you've done about 50% of, of, the, of the thinning on that overall branch. 
but now you have most of the fruit down where the branch is the strongest. And peaches are notorious for breaking branches. Absolutely. I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times. Florida prints are made pride in their second year, in their third year, and they, they bloom like a madman and they set 500 fruit on the tree and the people are just ecstatic and they come back uh, one day about the 1st of May and the tree is just self-destructive from the way. The thing is with thinning, one, one final comment, it doesn't do you any good to thin late. You want to thin when the fruit is the size of a green pea to the size of a dime. So you come in right at that point, and that's going to be 10 days or two weeks after bloom. You're going to start thinning, and you're going to thin aggressively. Because if you look at a peach branch, a three-foot peach branch might have 100 flowers on it. And if you get a decent fruit set, you might end up with 50 fruit on that branch where you really only want five or six. Yeah. So you, you want to thin aggressively and early. We've been talking deciduous trees here. Let's just talk a little bit about citrus and how to prune citrus. And what I've always told people is you, you take out the dead and you make it the size and shape that you want it. And I do it a little bit every month. Thoughts on that? I think that's about as simple as you can keep it. And I agree with everything you said. De there's no reason to have deadwood in the tree. So anytime you see deadwood, I don't care what month it is, what week it is, deadwood, you take it out of the tree. And citrus, will they'll, they'll always overgrow last year's fruiting wood. And oftentimes that you'll get a, a, a shaded area in toward the center. So it's very, very common to get little twiggy dead growth in toward the center of the citrus tree. Keep it out. It doesn't do you any good for, for air movement or light exposure. And it has no benefit uh, to keep any deadwood on the tree. So whenever you see it, take it out and then look for balance look for look for growth that's coming out that's out of balance look for growth that's in growing in the wrong direction growing back in toward the center of the tree keep it kind of light and airy so you get uh, a decent amount of light exposure and a decent amount of air movement and you'll have an excellent quality fruit cool let's see here we got two questions left and then we're going to wrap it up uh, I have a nine-month-old apricot tree and now has three or four skinny shoots about six feet high that popped out over the, up over the summer. Should I cut them back or pick them uh, off of the trunk? So distinguish the difference for her uh, between rootstock growth and fruiting stock on that one, would you? Yeah. First of all, identify the graft union on the tree. Figure out where that graft union is. And if there's anything coming up from below that graft union, you're always going to take that off. Whenever you see it, you're going to take it off. And you don't want to let it get three feet or five feet or six feet. I'm removing any rootstock growth when I see it to where it's just still soft and fleshy and maybe it's only grown up two or three inches. That's always going to take away benefit from that tree that you could put into fruiting wood and that rootstock will just eat it up. And a lot of times a tree like that, it, 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 if it gets an initiation below the graft, that's going to take off and be more vigorous than the variety or the cyan variety it, it itself. So you want to get that off as early as possible. So if this growth is coming from above the graft and it's, it's structurally appealing where it comes off of the trunk and it's balanced and you want to cut that back by, you want to cut six feet of growth back to two feet and incorporate it into your new scaffold development, that's fine. But if it's coming from up on, on top and just going up six feet, then I'm going to cut it right back down to where it balances in with the structure of the tree. Perfect. Thank you. We've got two more here. I'm going to answer them real quick and then we're going to wrap. So Anonymous says, should citrus fruit be thinned like the peach? It's been my experience that citrus is, does a really good job of self-thinning and I've never had to thin them. Tom? I've never thinned a citrus fruit. And typically every year when we get our first heat spike, our first days in the 90s, and it's April or May or early June, you're going to get a, a drop of immature fruit. So you've got 50 fruit on a young tree and all of a sudden 20 little small fruit turn yellow and drop off. That's natural. That's going to happen. That is exactly. that tree self-thinning itself. Yep. And then you got to clean okay. it up so you're not attracting the roof rats. Absolutely. You want to get that fruit off the ground and, and get it off the property. Tom, 
Any final thoughts? I always appreciate the opportunity to come on with you and Janice. You guys have done a wonderful job of, of educating growers and you should be very proud of the program that you've put together and run successfully now for well over 20 years. Yeah. And I, my main focus, my main purpose in doing things like this, I want people to be successful. I don't want people to make the right. mistakes that I've made over the last 40 years. The school of hard knocks can be expensive and it's depressing. And you want to make sure that you're doing your due diligence up front. Get your information up front. Make that sure is, your, your trees are adaptable and, and you've got the right varieties. That awesome. I'm so excited. That is exactly, exactly, exactly why we do our education and why we created Root Camp. Yes. So that I started my first orchards in Phoenix, Arizona in 1975. And by the way, they were Dave Wilson nursery trees, Tom. And I planted trees. I've killed more trees than most people are ever going to plant. And not on purpose, but that's, we've done the experimenting for you. We have figured it out. Just follow what we tell you to do. And here's a big one. The first year, you're going to spend as much on supplements and soils as you are on the tree. Just know that. So if you spend 50 or $75 on a tree, you're going to spend 50 or $75 on soil, on supplements, on fertilizers to make sure that it thrives. So that, that, that first one or two or three years of establishment time is what makes a tree healthy and long lived so that you get the next 10 or 15 or 20 years worth of fruit off of it. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And growing fruit trees in the desert is no joke. We are, we have extreme weather that we have to deal with and that's going to be uh, applicable throughout the country now wherever you're going to be planting you need to be prepared for the weather you're having yeah. give your trees the best chance by starting them off right understand what, what your more, soil yeah. understand your climate yeah. right andrew is wanting to know where they're going to sell bird netting never 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 use bird netting it tangles with the tree and it kills birds you go to the fabric store and buy tool T-U-L-L-E. It's a fabric that they make bridal veils out of, and it works great. So don't use bird netting. Um, so we do all of our education for free, and we do it for free because we want to teach you how to make sure that you're successful with your trees. If you are so motivated, and we appreciate it, if you want to throw us some support, you can go to urbanfarm.org forward slash support us and make a donation. We appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. We greatly appreciate you more than you can imagine. And Janice, you're a rock star. Janice pretty much single-handedly pulled together Root Camp into the form that it is. And I love yes, it. So thank you. And that thank is urbanfarm.org forward slash root camp. All right. Thank you, thank Greg and Janice. I, I appreciate it and keep up the good work. It's, a, it's always been a pleasure to work with you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams.